0: everyone, it's Tony Burke and welcome back to the 5 and 5 podcast. Uh, for those of you on the email list, you might have been receiving the 5 and 5 email at the end of the House of Representatives sitting weeks for something like 10 years. Uh, but now we have decided to have a go at a few episodes now. We're now up to episode 4. Uh, four episodes more than we thought this show might last. Uh, and so, or well, three episodes more than we thought it might last. And I am joined here on Thursday afternoon in my office here in Parliament House by Meryl Swanson, the member for Patterson. Welcome, Meryl. boom Do you
1: know your voice just dropped two octaves from when you were speaking to me in the corridor to now? That's oh, really? What my, that's what microphones do. It's like, hi, I'm Tony Burke and I'm in radio. <laughs> you, you, sound, you sound brilliant on the podcast, Tony.
0: Oh, that, that, thank lovely. you. But, but you're also saying I don't in normal conversations, sound all that good.
1: No, I'm just saying that you've got your radio voice on love, as do I. It's a thing. It is a thing.
0: Well, you you did work in radio before you came to Parliament.
1: I did, I did indeed. Yeah, talkback radio, ABC commercial, the whole shebang. Loved it.
0: Okay, well, the professionalism of this show just went through the roof. <laughs> there, there is a chance at episode five. We definitely continue, and you are choosing who your guest is rather than oh, I am. But I've got the
1: face for radio. Love.
0: <laughs> let's let's kick off now with the best. Meryl, uh, some of the things that you've noticed, because we talked at the beginning of the week, you were going to have a look at some of the things that I might not have might not have got to during the course of the week. How'd you go?
1: Well, very early on in the week, actually, Tony, there was an interesting launch in Parliament House and it was a biographical dictionary of speakers, deputy speakers and clerks of the Australian House of Representatives.
0: Oh, this is why they were all in town. Because exactly. I saw them on the floor of the House of Reps. That's right. Because I had one of my rare conversations saying hi to Brom and Bishop.
1: Well, there you go, yes. Uh, there
0: are a few of them there.
1: Well, <laughs> yes, There. in fact, there were the most that have ever gathered in one parliament at a time. Oh, really? Indeed it was. So we had people like Anna Burke, who was one of our speakers, of course, Bronwyn Bishop, Tony Smith came, the former speaker. Uh, It was really fantastic to see this group and some clerks, some people who were relatives of clerks and speakers in years gone by. So it was actually quite a, a... esteemed grouping, so much so that they felt they needed to come up with a collective noun for a group of speakers.
0: <laughs> and and did, did they come up with suggestions?
1: Well, they threw a few around, but I, I was sort of thinking about this. Of course, you know that uh, the collective noun that's used in terms of parliament is a parliament of owls, yep. right? Yep, Okay. And, and,
0: and a coalition of cheaters.
1: That's right. And a murder of crows <laughs> and a twaddle of public speakers and a helix of geneticists. <laughs> but, uh, in fact, politicians is an odium, a lie or an equivocation. Can you believe they're saying that about us? Just can't? plain
0: rude. Yeah, Just exactly. Just plain rude.
1: So anyhow, they decided, they tossed around a few. They had uh, a decision. Of speakers. Nah. And I thought that was a little bit nah. flat. No. And then they sort of said, oh, well, uh, maybe we could have an order of speakers. An order? Because the word that the speaker uses the most is.
0: Order with the gavel. You don't use the gavel in Australia.
1: Actually, I was just about to say, I don't think I've ever seen a gavel yeah. here, but you know, yeah. who's the who's the But sir? they've got they
0: sometimes when you get Australian Parliament on the TV, they whack in a gavel just just for fun. I I think I would prefer a 94A of speakers.
1: A 94A. <laughs> on
2: your way that's with a 94A. Right. That's right. Oh, I do Because that's like what that. I hear yeah, them say good. the most. That is very good, very good.
0: Especially one of the people who came back to visit. Uh, now, on Monday, we had an important moment in the Senate which then dominated the rest of the week in terms of the referendum bill.
1: Indeed. We passed, uh, you know, the voice, which is historic. As we heard today, Linda Burney, the minister, speaking about this, saying that in 1967 she'd never been counted and then at the age of 10 she was finally counted as a person, if you can believe that. It
0: is horrific. This Uh, is not a history of a long time ago.
1: No, And and now she is the person who is counted in Australia but she is the person that we are counting on to deliver this really important referendum for First Nations Australians. And, Tony, I've got this theory. Put parliament, put everything aside... I think Australians believe in a fair go, and Australians on the whole are two things, generous and decent, and all we're saying is, let's put our First Nations people on our birth certificate. That's it. It's the decent, you know what, it's the fair dinkum thing to do, and so that's what I'm saying to people when they say to me, what do you think of it? I said, it's the decent thing to do. It's fair dinkum. That's it.
0: One of the things today where normally we'd record this straight after question time, but we're we're a... a an hour and a half Mm -hmm. later than we'd normally be because for the first time, like in the first week of parliament after the election, this MPI thing, the big debate that happens after question time, Peter Dutton did one then, never did one again. Until today, he put forward one, not on cost of living, to have a divisive speech about the voice, about the referendum. And what I think he didn't suspect was the person speaking after him would be the Prime Minister. And if you listen to all of those speeches in the debate, and as you know, I came in at the end as well, uh, but Mark Dreyfus spoke, Linda Burney uh, spoke, there was just a shift from one side of the argument to the other of generosity and deliberate attempts to stoke fear. And you've got to think in Australia, if we keep explaining, it's about those two things, recognition and about listening, and that's it. That's all it is that we've got a chance for a really generous response from the Australian people later this year.
1: I think you made a really great point, Tony, on the history of this sort of thing. Uh, remember when Marbo was happening, and we were all going to lose our lose quarter, our acre, quarter yep. acre blocks. We're all going to use it, lose our land, and you know all these dreadful things were going to happen to us. And then, you know, over the years, there've been all of these scary. The things. The apology
0: was going to cost billions oh, in compensation, exactly. Retail. Well, you know, and told that by Peter Dutton, that that's was right. why he walked out.
1: Yeah, and, and land legs were also going to be a hundred dollars, and it was yeah. all you know all of these things over the years. I know that's a different matter. But the scare campaign is a powerful thing and I just really feel like Australians are not suckers. They've seen this play out before and I think, you know, I am very hopeful that we can get the yes vote up for the right reasons.
0: Now there was an answer today that I really enjoyed from Jim Chalmers where and we, in terms of question time we'd actually planned that the question to Jim was going to happen later in question time. But the first question that came in question time today was about economic management. So I lent over to Jim and we just said, I went and spoke to the whip. The person who was going to ask it stood up earlier. Can I just
1: pull you up there? Can I just let everyone in on a little secret? Of course, question time is a very dynamic time. So I just made some notes on this and I've got them here. Uh, Chief whip to leader of the house, which is Tony Burke, she says, uh, what are we doing? Leader of the house says, we're shuffling. (laughs) Every day we're shuffling. That needs to be your song, Tony, because literally every day we're shuffling the questions. We have to do that to keep things current. To obviously the dynamism of the questions and what happens. But getting back to Jim's question, yeah, it was so, very good. So
0: Jim was asked about the surplus, uh, and the and after everything we'd heard, like he went through the quotes of the other side saying, uh, promising that they would deliver a surplus in their first year and every year after that, never delivered one. And then had some great comments about the mugs. Uh, we always remember the back in black mugs oh, that, yeah. that they they produced. That Josh
1: Frydenberg had on pallets. That's right. Big order. That's Big right. order.
0: Pretty hard to find them these days. Yeah.
1: I reckon they're probably down the back of a cupboard somewhere and someone thinking, oh, I wonder when, when are we going to get rid of those mugs?
0: <laughs> well, the line that I love that Jim then then landed on.
2: That's because surpluses aren't made of mugs and they're not made of means. <laughs> they're delivered through the responsible economic management and spending restraint that
0: would be unrecognisable to the economic failures who sit over there, Mr Speaker. It really just brought home... Yeah, we spent a lot of time when we were out of office talking about the gap between their announcement and their delivery. The surplus was a classic example of that. And yeah, it has meant some difficult decisions that that we've had to take in the budget, but to be responsible, but at the same time, to be delivering a whole lot of cost of living relief with cheaper childcare, with what we're doing in free TAFE positions, with uh, what we've been doing with energy relief all of these issues and still to be delivering a surplus. uh, So I I just thought Jim really did well today.
1: And, you know, don't be fooled. If they could have delivered a surplus, if it was in their capacity, they would have because they were desperate to do it and they just couldn't manage it. And that comes back to my old bugbear when they try and own that land of saying, oh, we're the only ones that can manage money. It's just not true. It is categorically not true. And Jim's response today was brilliant. But uh, one of the ones I loved this week was Jason Clear and Kermit the Frog.
0: <laughs> I wondered where he was going when he launched into this one.
1: Yeah, when he said, uh, you know, Kermit the Frog was wrong. And I was like, hey, hang on a minute, Rainbow Connection, I'm, you know, where are you going with this? Yeah, you Joseph- can't knock
0: Rainbow Connection. No, playing the banjo while sitting on a log as a puppet, not many can do it.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and he said, you know,
0: Mr. Speaker, Kermit the Frog was wrong. It is easy being green because you can promise the
1: world and you don't have to but, uh, deliver anything. We've seen that from the Greens this week.
0: Well, let's move and let's, at this point, go to the worst. There was a change in strategy that we had from the Greens uh, where on a few issues they had been working very cooperatively with the government uh, but on housing they decided to team up with the Liberals and Nationals and vote to block Fund to deliver 30,000 additional homes. And the PM had a copy of an article which really explained the motivation about why they were doing this.
1: Indeed, Max Chandler Mather claimed uh, that the PM had actually misrepresented him on Wednesday after the PM actually read out quotes that the article that Max had written. Was from it was just it was really quite hard extra- to be
0: misrepresented by your own words
1: well it is in Jacobin <laughs> it was it, it really was one of those sort of moments where you think hang on is this really happening how has the PM misquoted your own article mate
0: and yeah well it's like last week uh, we had the issue where they were claiming to be in favor of more housing but had a whole lot of petitions on the website saying no more housing and you know last week the rule was if you want to hide something don't put it on your website This time, if you want to hide an argument, probably don't publish it, and and that was uh, the lesson today. But there was a weird thing where you had a claim, oh, misrepresented in an offer. Well, if would you like to table it? Yes, and then said, oh, I don't have a copy. And straight away, the PM, I saw him walk across to the advisors' box, straight past us, and they're shuffling through the papers. And then there comes the copy, and the the PM reads out the exact words. There'd been no misrepresentation at all. Uh, And effectively what was being argued there, because I I think a lot of people with sort of the the noise of it all Mm. might have missed the the critical point here, that what was being argued was the reason to vote no against that additional housing was a clever thing to do, was because it helped them organise as a political party. Yes. It helped them go door knocking, it kept, kept the issue alive and there was a political advantage for them in holding back on additional housing.
1: They were and trying to basically strong-arm their way, but as you say, and the hypocrisy of going to people's homes, knocking on their door and saying, oh, well, you know, we haven't voted for this because we want more housing for people, uh, you know. Yeah, if
0: you awful. want more housing, you probably don't vote against more housing.
2: Exactly, uh, that's But right. the,
0: the words that the PM read out from that article...
2: I seek leave to table an article by Max Chandler-Mather... <laughs> published in the Jacobin magazine, in which he says, consequently, if the Greens would have waved through the half bill, it would foreclose on the possibility of building the social and political pressure needed to force the government to take meaningful action. Uh, yeah. And says, Further, allowing the half to pass would demobilise the growing section of civil society that is justifiably angry about the degree of poverty and financial stress that exists in such a wealthy country. And goes on to say, Mr Speaker, while Parliament has debated the half, the Greens have also launched a national door-knocking campaign targeted at Labor federal electorates. That says it all, doesn't
0: it? You shouldn't find that people who desperately need housing are collateral damage in a political campaign. And that's really what the argument was this week. And
1: it reminds me, you were talking about history before, Tony. This reminds me of 10 years ago when we've had 10 years of climate inaction because the Greens uh, teamed up with another political party to stop some really good environmental and Great policy on climate. And now, again, we're seeing the Greens team up with the Libs and say, oh no, hang on, we want the holy grail of housing and this is not good enough. And we also want to get out there and sort of purport to support the most vulnerable people in our society when really we're just trying to politicise this for our own benefit. It's not a good look. And apart from that, it's stopping a really, really important policy.
0: There's something that I didn't see happen live and I was flicking through Instagram and Josh Burns had put up a post of him giving a speech and then Barnaby Joyce responding. And I don't know. Have you have you seen this one?
1: I actually saw it. It's it's. Oh, did you see it live? It, or it's you? it's the buzzing. It's the whirring. It's all of yeah, that yeah. overhead power lines, it's, it's, and there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, sound and a lot of hand movement. But I'm not sure that correlated with brain activity.
0: Well, was, the, the the thing that was extraordinary was normally uh, in Parliament the debate is about the words you use, whereas this occasion. It, it was about non verbal sounds that were coming from, from Barnaby and gestures that were sort of resembling a, an early form of interpretive dance. Here they come! Few transmission lines all night, just over your house. Bit of a beef field, bit of a beef field happening there. And you can have a few wind towers, or they once it start rusting, or, or, or for the rest of your life be struck by lightning. I'm not sure how Hansard will end up describing it, but uh, the people who were meant to type up his words, I don't know how you spell those sounds.
1: Well, I think you actually <laughs> coined it really beautifully when you said in the House this week that policy and legislation and questions need to be based on words, not <laughs> the vibe. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis De Nudo and all of the others involved <laughs> That's right. in that.
0: No, no, we can keep drawing back on the castle for that. Hey, look, finally on, on the worst, there was a, a moment, I can't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday, where because we'd been fighting for more housing and therefore we were fighting against the fact that the, the Greens and the Liberals had voted together, and I might add they hadn't only voted together on housing, they voted together on an environment bill this week as well. Mm. But Peter Dutton then asked a question about preferences for Labor. And you could just see the moment the question was asked and uh, because as the PM gets out of his chair, he'll often flick his eyes back to the backbench, which doesn't get caught on camera, and he was so happy to get that question.
2: Thanks, Mr Speaker, and I really do thank the Leader of the Opposition for this question. The Leader of the Opposition who relies upon One Nation preferences, who who goes out there and defends Clive Palmer... And all these far-right groups, far-right groups ask you a question about where preferences go. Bit sensitive, aren't we, Pete?
0: It was one of those moments where you watch the questioner, in this case it was Peter Dutton, go from, from completely pumped up to completely deflated as the answer happens. Now, each week we have a song of the week to wrap things up. Okay. And... You get to start, you pick any song you want and people will rush. The millions of podcast listeners will rush. This will make a difference to the total number of streams. Let's go.
1: I can feel my hair getting blown back in the breeze (laughs) like an 80s pop star already. Well, I'm going to pick Mitch Tambo's The Voice. He performed it last night live at the Midwinter Ball. The house came down for it. It was amazing. Do yourself a favour and I wanted to get up and dance straight away actually but, you know, Prime Minister was kind of going, I think i have to speak before we all dance.
0: <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Uh, for me, it's in honour of those Josh Frydenberg mugs, ACDC back in black. Oh,
1: bring it on.
0: <laughs> okay, thanks very much, Merrill, for joining us thanks, today. Thanks, Tony. It's Real been good. a
1: lot of fun and good for, job on this.
0: No, no, for your information, your friendship and your radio professionalism. <laughs> so, thanks yeah. very much. And for everybody listening, please interact with the podcast in some way. It might be that you tell someone, it might be that you like it, it might be that you make a comment, so long as the comment is is nice uh, but interaction helps more people find the podcast please do that please keep listening <laughs>